This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I would say he's back or something to that effect, but it was I who traveled to visit James Altucher, today's guest. Such was our bond when chatting a few weeks ago on this here podcast that I flew out to Georgia to stay with James and his family, which was really a great experience. He's a lovely, lovely man and so are, is, are or is are or is his family. In truth, I was already going to be in the States to appear on the Tim Pool podcast, and that was really something of an experience, as Tim's politics are a little different to mine, a little further to the right, and there's usually a bit of God talk and that kind of thing, but they were very nice to me, and i got to tell you, it was a fascinating and unique experience. So thank you also to Tim Pool for having me on his podcast. I know that's divisive. I know people are going to be going, what do you mean you went on his podcast? You, you must be a bigger or whatever. I'm not a bigger. Anyway, Anyway, then after Tim Pool, I flew to Georgia and, and James and I sat down for a proper talk in a studio with cameras and microphones and things, obviously because you need those to record. And we spoke for two hours with his wonderful producer and very patient producer, Jay Yao, who was just sort of sitting mostly watching us and must have been well, I won't say bored to tears, because that would suggest you guys are gonna be bored now, but of course this is an edited and beautifully polished version of the the podcast what you guys are getting now for those who don't know james altucher is an american author hedge fund manager entrepreneur and podcaster who has co-founded more than 20 companies and is a chess master uh, even the, the, i think the, the morning after i stayed over there was some sort of chess tournament going on he earned millions he lost millions he went broke he wrote controversial articles about failure love hope all sorts of things family uh, not feeling the things that you're supposed to feel and gained infamy after writing an article suggesting that new york was dead after covid it was read out by joe rogan and comedian jerry seinfeld wrote an angry retort and called him a putz which is which is a yiddish word for idiot now today is part one of two of this sort of james altucher special and we chat about whether there is anybody we wouldn't interview obviously i was uh, as i mentioned on the tim pool podcast and james has just done an interview with andrew tate uh, who's a very controversial man at the moment quite sort of uh, in the manosphere accused of being a misogynist and that kind of thing uh, so we talk about that and what leads people to cults and why James Altucher is so bad at replying to emails. I would just add that I've now been home for a week and I messaged James on his actual phone in the hope of getting past the email barrier and to say thank you so much for hosting me and being so kind. But alas, no reply. Coming up is a damning episode about the crimes of FIFA the football organization or soccer organization with a World Cup coming up in Qatar, a human rights catastrophe, and a debate about the guilt of Michael Jackson. This podcast is mixing things up, but now you're on the edge. You're sitting with us as a fly on the wall in my chat with James Altucher. Is it a valid stance to just not care about vaccines? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're like, if you want to, to take it, take it. And 
they've already just said that it's not has nothing to do with transmissibility. So it's just your own personal choice if you want to take it or not. That's sort of everything, isn't it? Is it okay to not have a strong opinion? We talked about this before, didn't we? You were saying um, it's fascist to just be quiet. Yeah, yeah. Like my my kids have informed me now that silence is violence. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a re- I think that's a really dangerous place to be because it means you've got to have a strong opinion one way or the other. And you start with the strong opinion and then you find the, the stats for it. Yeah, like, um, you know, like voting is an interesting thing. You know, everybody says you must vote. If you want to have a voice in your government, you must vote. Or if you want to have a voice in your country or even in your community. But we have a, and if you say you're not voting, people act like, you know, oh, you know, so many people died for your right to vote. But at the same time, it's a right. It's not. It's not forced. We don't live in this fascist society. Like we have a right to vote, but it's not yeah. a, a, a. We're not for. It's not against the law to not vote. You have a right to get an abortion, but we don't force people to get them. I force all my girlfriends <laughs> to get abortions. But <laughs> kidding aside, <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I agree. I've always look. This is. I don't know how this is going to go down. Me saying this, but I've never voted. I've never voted either. Oh. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> and but I get but this election in particular, everybody was upset at me. I even had like yeah. a debate, like I'm allowed myself to get drawn into this live debate about voting. And you could see how people think. Like everybody was saying, Well, what I just said that people died for my right to vote, which I never asked anyone to do, but okay. And and the other another thing people said was that look, this is, you know. I have a daughter who is X, Y, and Z, and if you don't vote, then her rights are going to be taken away. And I said, my daughter has the same X, Y, and Z, and she, you know, I'll talk about it on my podcast, which reach, reaches a lot of people. That and and that's more important than a vote. Like, mm-hmm. a vote is one out of 120 million podcast that reaches a lot of people. So, and I feel to be on to have a podcast is good to be as neutral as possible. So I could talk to Democrats, I could talk to Republicans, I could talk to. Kanye West, if he wants to come on, hint Kanye, and whatever. Yeah, well, speaking of hints Kanye, what about who you just had on your show? Because it's caused a bit of controversy, Andrew Tate. Oh, yeah. Andrew Tate's another one where I saw some tweets from people who had known me for a long time, and they were like, literally one tweet said, bye. Yeah, that was just it. (laughs) And then another tweet was, you know, oh, you know, I forget what they all said, but, you know, so disappointed, like, and I, and all I said, I, I tweeted, uh, just all I'm asking is that you listen to it and then judge. Don't judge and then not listen to it, because uh, it's because it's interesting. Because I've known the, this guy was the most had more Google searches on him than Donald Trump during the summer. So that's interesting. And then he got banned. Why did he get banned? Why do people? Why were people attracted to his message? Is it just twelve year old boys who who hate women? I I don't know. I didn't really listen to his stuff before researching. This podcast, but it was a very interesting podcast about lots of different issues. And I know I've known him personally for a long time. Like I knew his dad decades ago. So it would make sense for me to have him on because he's been in the news a lot. And he's a you know, I enjoyed the podcast. It was a great podcast. Yeah. For those who don't know, what has he been in the news for and who is he? So so he he there's like a billion views or billions of views of him on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and what he talks about basically is that his own view of men's rights and women's rights and how he thinks it's been distorted in society and you know men commit suicide at a rate of four, 5 to 1 over women why is this this is never talked about why is this the case and so he digs down and he says it's his own personal opinion it's his own personal experience it's not based on statistics but a lot of people 
follow him for, and, and some of the things he says are considered very extreme, but nothing he says is a, is as extreme as the basic rap song, you know, referring to Kanye, like every rap song has more, you know, crazy stuff in it than anything Andrew says. And a lot of the stuff Andrew says makes a lot of sense that people should listen to. Like, you know, you always have to question who is giving us the message in the media? Why are they giving us this message? What's the agenda? And okay, he, you know, he pointed out how like outside the Ukraine, you know, he because I guess he's based near Ukraine. Outside of it, a lot of women and children are leaving the country, which is reasonable. Everybody should leave if they're afraid to get killed. But he said men are not allowed to leave. And so he's just wondering, why did they make a difference between men and women? Well, historically and evolutionary, biologically, women take care of the children, and that's how it's happened in, for the for the human race for as long as we've we've been around. So he's just he just a lot of the points he makes is from like evolutionary psychology. It's like literally mm. said in academic departments. He just has a, an interesting way or a weird way of saying things. Like instead of saying men can deadlift more weight than women on average, he says women are weaker than men, which is almost saying the same thing. But he says it is a more provocative, so mm. people take it more provocatively. And he says this enough, and he gets billions of views. They ban him. Meanwhile, like the Ayatollah of Iran might say, you know, the only good Jew is a dead Jew, and that guy's fine because he like runs a country or whatever. Is he on Twitter? He's on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> he really? he, I saw he tweeted that or something like that like yeah. a couple years ago, and I've been thinking of it ever since. Like I reported <laughs> his tweet. Like why wasn't he banned? So <laughs> the Ayatollah is just not banned. He's unbannable. You can't he's just tweeting them. in the bathroom like everyone else. The Ayatollah. <laughs> oh, he sounds like a nice guy, doesn't he? He sounds lovely. Well, look, the the thing with Andrew did, didn't he do bad stuff as well? I'm just thinking off the top of my head now, and I'll, we'll have to take this bit out if that's not true. Did he was there was there like an abusive thing? No, no. There, there's a so there's a video of him quote unquote, beating up a woman. Hmm. And to me, so I watched the video and cause it's all over the place. I watched the video. It looked to me like role play, like nobody was acting seriously in it. And the woman herself made a video saying this was her thing. She liked it. She still likes Andrew. You know, there were a couple videos like that where the woman all said this was not a big deal. People are like really making this a big deal. And it wasn't. Hmm. And it, you know, they weren't forced to say that unless, I don't know, maybe they, they were, been. but they could have been. Maybe, yeah, maybe they're in his basement and he's, for, they're for, he's forcing them to say it. But it, it, but it, it also it, doesn't mean you did it. I mean, this, this is the thing. Like, I get, I get, we both get a lot of, you know, flack from people for who we might interview and things like that. Um, but you can't win because you, you could do something for the BBC. Well, the BBC hid the allegations about Jimmy Savile for decades. The, the, I don't want to use the word on YouTube, but the guy, do you know Jimmy Savile? No. He was, he was uh, one of the most famous children's TV presenters of the 80s, 70s, and 80s. You can imagine where this Children, is going. Children, yes. Okay, yeah. so now, now we know the word. Well, well, also, like, you know, not just that. It was, like, beyond that. We're talking about... Because um, he was very... He, he had friends in high places. He was, like, in with the royal family. He was in with um, um, all the celebrities, like, the top, top, top people, and the charities and stuff. So he was just left to just wander the halls of hospitals and psychiatric wards for children and also morgues and funeral homes. So you get where that might be going. Oh my God. And that all came out after he died. And that was a lot of the BBC people knew about it and didn't let it out. So you go and make something for the BBC, fine. But what they did is much worse than what you've just described about Andrew Tate. And then where do you go? Because every channel has got some sort of history with doing awful, awful things. Yeah, every, every government... Every king and queen in England, every president here, like you name me a president 
I could tell you some scandal that they've been involved in that mm. just sort of is like brushed under the 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 carpet when when they're gone. Like everybody. I yeah. mean, George Washington had slaves. We I mean, now that's talked about, but I don't know. Maybe Barack Obama has a clean slate. I don't know. Don't I'm, say that. You're going to annoy people. Yeah, I'm not voting. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm voting for him. I'm just saying I don't know of any scandal. Okay, well, I will say one scandal is that he forced all the Swiss banks to open up to see who was kind of hiding assets from all the way back to World War II. And it was a lot of uh, Jewish people, actually. Ah. So, so I'll tell you a story that I've never actually told before. I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast before. So a bunch of um, Orthodox Jews came to me once and they described this whole scenario where they had friends going to jail because these friends had Swiss bank accounts where their, their great-grandparents from the Holocaust had squirreled away money in these Swiss banks and on the interest or whatever it is, they never paid taxes back in 1945. And so now they're going to jail because Obama forced all the banks to open up. So they, so here's the problem. I'm taking notes. This sounds like an interesting story. I was going to either write a story about or do a podcast about, and then they offered to pay me. And I said, now i this is over a decade ago, so it's not like a big deal now, but I said to them, now I can't do anything for you. You just offered to pay me in a room full of people. Like I can't, I can't mention this story ever. I'm mentioning it now, of course, but <laughs> it's 10 years later. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so that's the only thing I could think of with Obama. That's pretty crazy. Wait, so what's the moral bad thing here? That well, that he was, he, their theory, and I don't know if this is true or not, but their theory was that he was targeting Jews. Mm -hmm. And he had a slight history before he was elected of his, his preacher or reverend was, had made some anti-Semitic speeches when he was in the, the church. And so, but he got rid of, he, he disavowed that reverend. So there's no evidence that he's actually anti-Semitic or anything. And I don't think he is, but that was their claim. Mm. Is there anyone you wouldn't interview? Is there anyone out of, I, out of moral, some sort of moral, moral compass thing? There is somebody I didn't interview. I feel like I feel like Alex Jones. I didn't. Mm. Did, Jay, do you know who 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 did I say no to because he was a bad guy? Uh, the guy from Papa John. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> the Papa John guy. Yeah, yeah, the pizza <laughs> guy because he had said some very racist things. And now he's just trying to cover it up because he was losing customers. And oh. I just didn't want to get involved. I didn't, about, want, to, I didn't want to be a tool for him. Who did Papa John say bad things about? Uh, you know, black people. Uh, so I, I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. And then RFK Jr., we didn't, we didn't air. So because it was just, I, I was more interested in him, in the Kennedys and the political dynasty and all that. And then he went on like this 45-minute rant about vaccines. This is way before COVID. And I was like, I just, there's nothing for me to say here. I don't know if he's telling the truth or not. Mm -hmm. I couldn't ask him anything. I, you know, he had researched it for decades. I had done zero research on it. So I just didn't air it. What yeah. about you? Is there anybody? Because you, you go for the, yeah. the, but the thing is nobody, like if you interview a on things, you're a Don't say the word, like, YouTube, YouTube. Oh no, I can't, we're going to have to like blur that <laughs> we'll word beep out. It. So, okay. So who wouldn't you have on your podcast? The thing is your podcast is different than mine. Yeah. Like, I'm having on people who I don't mind giving them a platform to share their views. Whereas you interview criminals and yeah. fake psychic healers and cult leaders. And so it's not like you're sharing your platform with them. So I'm wondering, like, is there someone so extreme that you can't handle the fact that they're on your podcast? No, I, I don't think so. Um, it wouldn't be a moral thing. It would be... Um, it, it would be just the thing that they believe is bananas. And 
I, I can't, I don't want to have that conversation. So um, I often get emails from people saying I'm not open-minded because I won't entertain sort of paranormal stuff. You know, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in any of that stuff. Um, so there's often that open-minded thing. I think that that drives me mad, actually, because they don't understand. Of course, everyone thinks they're open-minded. And being open-minded is being open-minded to the fact that they might be wrong. Because they, I mean, I think we all start from a religious place. At least we did 20, 30 years ago. Everyone starts from a, whether it's a church or synagogue, it's like religion is the, is the main. And being open-minded to me is breaking free from that. It's not just having more religion, but I'm getting all that open mind. So, so that's why I would probably say no to, and I, I have done, I get these emails, you know, somebody was saying they were in the Moonies uh, cult, and it's like, I've left the Moonies, but now I've worked out why the Bible is actually an allegory for evolution, and just all this stuff, and I, I, don't, I just don't have the patience for it. But in terms of like horrible things someone's done, I think I would have, I'd have Hitler on, I would have, uh, I, because why not? It's not, what's it going to do? It's going to promote their horrible views. Okay. Right, it's not, it's not going to be like, huh, that Hitler guy sounds really reasonable. It's yeah. not like the, people are going to say that after listening to your yeah. podcast. Well, maybe they would. That maybe, would be scary. <laughs> but, well, this is it. So one of the main threads in my podcast is, is trying to show that, you know, that, that banality of evil thing, that, mm-hmm. that everybody thinks they're doing a good thing. Uh, and it's so simplistic to presume that you, you know you can never be the bad person because you've got good intentions. Well, everyone else did as well. I don't know about Hitler, and I know that one percent of the population are psychopaths. So maybe he was just a psychopath. He probably was. But so many people throughout history must have thought they were really doing the right thing for them. You mentioned you had some guy from the Aryan Brotherhood on. Like, yeah. what was that like? That was interesting. But he, so he was someone that I pushed back a bit. The thing is, that was one of those ones where I co-hosted with Sean Atwood. And Sean is a much more forgiving interviewer than, than I am, I think, and even more forgiving, I should say. So he just sort of, you know, he'll take them a little bit more at their word, and I don't think he wants the friction. He just enjoys the conversation. Uh, and because Sean organized that one, I didn't feel at liberty to push back as much as I would have done on mine. But I did push back a bit because he was reframing a lot of stuff, um, and he was saying stuff that uh, it could be true, I don't know, that when the Aryan Brotherhood started, they weren't a racist organization in prison. It was more to do with, you know, white people being a minority and needing a group together and the swastika didn't come into their symbol until quite a bit later and things like that and he was he was very philosophical and he seems to have changed his ways but he also didn't seem to want to take responsibility for for almost anything i'm reluctant to criticize too much because he's you know quite a scary person (laughs) but you know it's interesting though that one you co-hosted with someone and and i think when you co-host you could be have like a good cop bad cop thing going on so you're allowed to be a little bit more aggressive because the other guy is going to lighten it up a little bit there is that, and I suppose I should speak to Sean about that and say, "Hey, do you want that dynamic?" Because there's the you're right. There's the good cop, bad cop, but there's also the the feeling of I'm on. This is somebody else who's organized it. It's, I'm in their home. You know how yeah. do they how do they want this to be? And I think he wants it to be smooth and nice because he has a relationship with this guy and with lots of other people, and he wants them to come back on, which is you know totally fair enough. I don't want to be the guy that ruined it, and the next time he wants the Aryan Brotherhood guy on, he won't come on. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take 
to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on what could go right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria, and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. A few decades ago, private citizens used to be largely that, private. What's changed? The internet. Think about everything you've browsed, searched for, watched or tweeted. Now imagine all of that data being crawled through, collected and aggregated by third parties into a permanent public record. Your record. Having your private life exposed for others to see was once something only celebrities worried about. But in an era where everyone is online, everyone is a public figure. To keep my data private when I go online, I turn to ExpressVPN. Did you know there are hundreds of data brokers out there whose sole business is to buy and sell your data? The worst part is they don't have to tell you who they're selling it to or get your consent. One of these data points is your IP address. Data harvesters use your IP to uniquely identify you and your location. But with ExpressVPN, my connection gets rerouted through an encrypted server and my IP address is masked. Every time I turn ExpressVPN on, I'm given a random IP address shared by other ExpressVPN customers. That makes it more difficult for third parties to identify me and harvest my data. And the best part is how easy ExpressVPN is to use. No matter what device you're on, phone, laptop or smart TV, all you have to do is tap one button to get protected. So if, like me, you believe that your data is your business, secure yourself with the number one rated VPN on the market. Visit expressvpn.com heretics and get three extra months for free. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash heretics. Go to expressvpn dot com slash heretics to learn more. Although I guess I guess they can always say, like if let's say your co-host Sean were sit called up the Aryan brother or guy, the, the guy could say, Listen, Sean, I'm okay with you, just don't have that Jew on anymore. You <laughs> <He laughs> so, could say that. That would go against the stuff he was saying because he was trying to say, like, oh, I've got no problem with you know, it does disarm people. Uh me being Jewish, I think, especially talking to these people, we we were talking about this before. That you know, I think conspiracy theories often the roots is one thing in common. Firstly, is that they, you know, if you're a conspiracy theorist, you believe in all the conspiracy theorists together. But also, Jewishness tends to be the thing in the middle. And some of the biggest conspiracy debunkers that I think you and I have both uh, interviewed or known about, you know, Michael Shermer, Mike Rothschild, these are Jewish guys. So I asked them, like, do you think? It comes from, you know, a lot of people have this distrust of the media and all these things. I think if you're Jewish and you grow up in that world, particularly if you're a skeptical kind of person, quite secular, your distrust is of conspiracy theories. So it's a really complicated thing. We're right in the middle of those conspiracies and the cults and things. And when I tell those people, I get them on the show, like, you know, I'm Jewish or whatever, they, they tend to be polite, you know, people are polite and they don't, they don't go as crazy as they would do. Yeah, and particularly they... The thing is, they want your audience to like them. Yeah. So they're not going to say if they they're not they're not idiots. Then they know. Okay, this person's like this, so his audience must be like this. I'm try. I'm not going to say anything totally off the wall. But but you mentioned the case of the guy from the Moonies, mm. but he might have his own weird theory. That person like sounds like just crazy. So you yeah. don't want just a crazy person. Yeah. Like it'd be interesting. to... When when you said oh I, somebody from the Moonies contacted me, I got interested for, for a split second because oh was you remember that day they married like twenty thousand couples yeah. in one day? 
I'd be really curious to talk to someone who was married that day as a Mooney. Like, what, what, how they meet their spouse? What was the yeah. marriage like? What happened? Did they think it was weird that they were all being married on the same day? I did have a Mooney on. I can give you his contacts if you want. Yeah, uh, yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Well, what did he say? Was he? Did he get I married don't think that he, day? It wasn't that day, but I, I can't remember too. You know, you end up doing three episodes a week. I can't remember too much. Yeah. He's a really, really nice guy called Elgin Strait. Uh, and he's American, but he lives in Britain now. Uh, and yeah, he was, you know, fully signed up. His parents, the, the thing with the Moonies is their parents can't go to heaven until they have children who I think also get married to other Moonies. Wow. So there's a lot of, imagine that pressure. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and you do feel, and he said this, you feel a bit like a commodity. You feel like you are the thing that will get your parents into heaven. You don't feel like you're the thing that they want to love. You're doing them a favor. What if you decide not to get married? Are your parents going to like disown you or, or are they going to cry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Often or they would, or it depends how extreme they are. They might just make judgments and say things and, you know, but they'll think, okay, we can't go to... to so, so because of that, the Moonies often adopt and there's loads of what they would call child, um, you know, transporting or... Ah. Yeah, to, to not use another word that gets banned on YouTube. It's fascinating. So like what I always think of, obviously this is a marketing strategy, right? So it's how, you know, it, it's literally, literally a pyramid scheme because it's everybody, you know, you have four kids, they have four kids and mm. then it grows exponentially. And the Moonies are still around. Like they, they're bigger than ever. It's just I, Reverend Moon is dead. Yeah, yeah. Well, also because that uh, Shinzo Abe, the Japanese prime minister, was was killed because of his involvement in the Moonies. Uh, he gave talks. Loads of people have given. It's a, another one, a little bit like Scientology and Nixium, where celebrities would go and give these big speeches at these places uh, and endorse it and give it credibility, so more people signed up to these things. So th those people, uh, th that is an example, I suppose. It's not. We were talking before about you know should we platform people when you go and give a speech at an abusive cult, I think that's a different thing. I wouldn't go and talk to Scientologists or right. to um, the Moonies. But uh, Shinzo Abe did. And uh, I, I believe the man who killed him from a from a, a gun that he made at home, it would like, look like a piece of wood or something. Um, his mother, I think it was, had gotten into the Moonies and given all her money away to them. You know, we were talking earlier about Scientology and you were mentioning this weird story where they were killing the pets yeah. of someone who's being who's a Scientologist who's now being accused of rape the accusers are finding their pets killed yeah and how do they know it's by Scientologists I guess because it's all of them yeah I think that's what it is I think there's been a few pets killed now and it was similar poison um, I would need to check facts exactly on that and I, I think it's one of those things where no one really knows what's going on it's it's just stranger than true I said to you before I think that that it's the weirdest thing in today's age. Like everybody's sitting here arguing about the culture wars and wokeness and what word we use. And I'm, you know, all for that. I guess right in the middle of those conversations. And nobody is saying, like, isn't it weird that the most famous guy in the world is the and everyone gets angry when I say that as well, because he's not the most famous. Okay, he's not the most famous. He's one of the, you know, he's up there. Saying he's the most famous person in the world isn't insane, which means he's pretty famous, right? He's the head of a cult, an abusive, a coercive cult. So. Yeah, so 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 and we're talking about Tom Cruise. And yes. uh if Tom Cruise wanted to go on your podcast, and I don't think he's ever been on any podcast, if Tom Cruise wanted to go on your podcast, but his team a half hour before he's supposed to go on, his team sends you, here's a list of questions you can't you can't ask him. Would you do it? I would do it, um, because he's just such a big name and because yeah. I would get to talk to Tom Cruise. And that's the thing. That's what we're stuck with now. Everybody wants to talk to Tom Cruise. That interview he did with somebody Overton, who's an Australian um, presenter, uh, um, 
he said, he actually blindsided Cruz a bit at the beginning of the interview. The very first thing he said to him, like, hello, Tom. I can't do an Australian accent. But he's like, all right, Tom. Um, I didn't know I'd have to go through a four-hour Scientology briefing before just to speak to you. And you've got to watch this interview. It's the maddest thing on the internet. And you see Tom Cruise, you see those eyes, the intense eyes. And he goes, well, you didn't have to. And he said, well, I got the impression I did. He's like, well, you didn't have to go. And it's just this really awkward thing. Ah. The whole interview after that is really awkward because he's obviously asking things he wasn't supposed to ask. And they're quite simple things. They're just like, um, you know, do you still speak to Nicole? which is quite a usual thing for Australians to want to know about, right? Why, because she's Australian. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want to know that? And he starts going, you're crossing the line here. You know you're crossing a line. Come back from that line now. It gets very Scientology-ish on him. And it's really weird. And then it's the weirdest part of the whole thing is right at the end, because it's an hour of Cruz just going mad at him. Uh, at the end, this guy Overton is just like, oh, that was a, an interesting interview, wasn't it? And Tom Cruise is like, yeah, it was great. It was great. It was really good. And he gets up and gives him like a hug and he's like really intense. He's like, yeah, well, you know, you went out of line a few times and I pulled you back in. It's fine. Just intense guy. And and so here's my question. Why do people, st- everybody, it's like a common thing where we know Scientology is almost like a joke. Like why do people join yeah. Scientology and, and like seriously believe in it? And And who knows, maybe it gives them some satisfaction in their life or helps them with their problems, or maybe there's some meditation technique in there that really alleviates their anxiety, I don't know. But you hear such weird stories and such extreme stories. Who joins? Who joins today? I think it's, it is harder for them because of the internet, firstly. Like it is, they are getting smaller. Uh, they are less able to employ their fair game tactics, which is when they go after people who have left because there are too many who have left now. So now if you leave Scientology, you're less likely to have your pets killed or to get harassed at your house and stuff. But there's still a lot. I still get messages from Scientologists, angry ones, you know, shouting at me. Um, I, I think, um, oh, and it's interesting because like cults rely on secrecy. They, they need secrecy uh, and mystique. And, you know, if you complete this level, then you'll get this and you'll get eternal something or other. And uh, they, I mean, L. Ron Hubbard, I don't know the numbers exactly, but it was something like level seven. That will be when you know everything. They're up to like level 14 now because they just, I mean, he died and they just keep inventing new levels. Every time you get to the top level, there's another one uh, about secret knowledge, about aliens and spirituality and stuff. And I feel like a lot of cults or religions kind of have, Taking that blueprint of a cult and like, uh, like the idea of like first level, second level, third level, mm-hmm. it's almost like social media. Like they gamified religion. Yeah. Or actually, social media is like these religions because the religions have been around longer. It, you know, gamifying gives people that dopamine rush and it gives them oh, something yeah. to like go for and they feel, you know, Special. everybody wants a hierarchy. So they feel like they have status over other people. And it's funny how. Twitter or Facebook, like any of these social media is structured the same way. Like how many followers you have? Are you, do you have a blue check mark or another check mark? Are you, you know, this, this member or this type of member or pro member or amateur member, whatever it is, there's all this gamification that it does work. Yeah. Status. We're desperate for that status. So, and, so it's funny how like social media, even like, oh, I'm going to follow this guy on social media. He's got a million followers. He must have something to say. It's yeah. like, it's like, okay, that's like a guru of social media. And then people call themselves influencers. Like that's like, it it never it used to be like a joke. If someone said I'm an influencer, yeah. that used to be a joke because well, you haven't done anything in life. You just have followers on Twitter. But now, like 
that's what people say they do for a profession. All they've done is accumulate followers on like some social media platform. It's no, I think it's similar to a cult. I think, I think, and p- again, people disagree with this, but the word cult is really hard to define. Uh, it's a really broad uh, definition. And so I think you get cultish. You get a one out of 10, which is like Jumba Juice or fitness training or something like that, where people go and you feel like if I leave, I'm letting down the team. You know, it's not really a cult, but it just has a little bit of those cultish elements to it. 10 out of 10 is, you know, Jonestown. Uh, where they all, uh, well, a lot of them killed themselves and the rest were killed. And Heaven's Gate as well, where they uh, killed themselves, the drink the Kool-Aid uh, yeah. phrase, which was which was wrong. It wasn't Kool-Aid, it was another type of drink that they... Oh, really? I yeah. always thought it was Kool-Aid. Yeah. Wait, was, uh, Jim, the Jim, the Jonestown one wasn't Kool-Aid? I can't remember which one it was. Whichever one of the two, it was either that or Heaven's Gate, you know, the alien one, yeah. when they were sitting, yeah, they all had Nikes. Is that the Waco one? Waco Compound? I think so. Texas? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so they all have these things. I mean, you, you described as well Nixium. Nixium stole a lot from Scientology, and it's like this tiered uh, group. And, you know, once you get into the final group, instead of a Lord Xenu in Scientology, you get to or have to have sex with the uh, leader, Keith Ranieri. Uh, that was like, it's called DOS, was the sort of top level. So you mm. get into that, you've got to then be part of like this sex group with him. So what a thing to suddenly realize when you get there. You also have to be branded with his and uh, with his initials, like a tattoo, like a proper branding thing, um, and also branded uh, either his and hers as well, because it was Alison, was it Alison? Not, not Alison Brie. Uh, it was an actress, a famous actress. Yeah, the, the girl from Smallville. Jay, what's her name? Blonde-haired girl from Smallville who mm. played Chloe. Mm. All right. Which, uh, Mac. Alison. Yeah, Alison Mac. Yeah, Alison Mac. Right. Yeah, she's, I mean, she's in prison, I think. Like... Uh, I do. I think she got. I don't think she got in prison. I don't know. I I followed the case for a while because I had one friend I knew who was in the call too. Who I think was might have been married to her, quote unquote married. But uh, uh, yeah, that was. They're, wow. they're all. It all boggles the mind. Like, how do people make the decision? This is going to be good. This is going to be uplifting for my life. Uh, did they not know something in the beginning? And all mm. their friends are doing it, so they decide to try it. But then they give up everything. Like all those actresses who went, were in Nexium, they gave up their careers. Right. Remind me to get onto Bitcoin after because I'm going to ask you about this because I think there's some, there's some similar similarities. Yeah, there's definitely cult. Like any new thing, there's cult-like aspects to it. Not just crypto, but like the internet when it first started. People either were like super obsessed with the internet in the 90s or they thought it was a fad and a scam. Same thing's going on with crypto now. Yeah. And same thing happens with like lots of like self-help writers or... You know, like you say, though, there's a, a range from one to 10 of, mm-hmm. you know, I would say someone crosses the line when when they gamify it, probably. Um, that's even wrong to say, too, because they might truly believe what they're doing, so they gamify it to encourage people to achieve the insights that they've had. So maybe it's maybe it's just crosses the line when they know what they're saying is wrong and they're doing it for money or or some or sex or whatever. Yeah, but it's still bad. Even if, it's even worse when they think what they're doing is right. They're they're doing all these mad things. Yeah. Uh, and, and look, Bitcoin's different, but I guess the culty stuff. And what I was going to say is that Scientology um, now they can't. You know, there's no secrets anymore because everybody knows what the secret is that you find out. It's that Lord Zenu um, banished a bunch of like killed loads of people and their souls all went into volcanoes in the earth, then came out and went into people, and then they control how your happiness levels and things like that. It's it's basically that. South Park did it, and they wrote like a thing saying, you know, this is what Scientologists really, really believe. So, you, you know, everyone knows that that is the thing because of the internet, everyone knows that. But now Scientology put on their website stuff like, uh, by the way, all that South Park stuff, that's nothing to, that's not what it is. So people would spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to get through when they'll go, 
actually, that that was what it is. Sorry, <laughs> you know, awful. Yeah, and I guess they feel comfortable lying about it because maybe in the beginning it's just like a self improvement thing, and that's how they get people sucked in. They read, the- they believe that like they believed L one Hubbard was a was a, a prophet, and they believe David Miscavige and Tom Cruise are sort of bigger than you know if you if we look at as you say so if someone who's got a million twitter followers or a blue tick I, it does make a difference for me someone emails me and says hey i want to come on your podcast i'll check it out right yeah and it does make a difference if someone's got 10 followers i'm probably i'm unlo- unless it's really like this person's like mad done really awful horrible things or i don't know what uh but then i see someone who's got a blue check and a million followers well it's like you know so well and i can guarantee you book advances now are 100 percent correlated with social media followings like mm. where you are in the cult of social media, that determines you the, the size of your book advance. You're not going to get a million dollar book advance if you don't have millions. You probably need like five million followers across social media huh. to get a, a, a million dollar book advance. Wow. But then, yeah, you can game it. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah, you can game it. Nobody and and the thing is, publishers don't know too that your social media following is not necessarily going to read your book. Yeah. So like like just even in the basic rules of direct marketing, like let's say I have an email list with a million people and I email all 1 million, hey, please read my book. Maybe 1% will go out and buy your book and some percentage of that will read it. So it has nothing, it's really correlated with very few things. Mm. You'd think they'd do the work though. Why do they, you know, you'd think they would have worked that out and gone, okay, there's no point going by that, you know? Uh, You mean the publisher? Yeah. Yeah, I think they they just don't know because they don't have big social media followings and they sort of trust all the... And I guess some of their some of the best like every bestseller they do have has a big social media following, but so that is what they focus on. They don't focus on the people who have books that don't do so well that also had big social media followings. But they do know that when they did select for social media followings, some of those became massive bestsellers. And they mm. only need a few massive bestsellers to stay in business. Yeah, are you on social media a lot? Are you still are you arguing with people on there? Not not really. I used to be a lot more. Like I used to be very focused on it. Let's say about 10 years ago where, for instance, every Thursday, I did this for six years like clockwork. Every Thursday from 2.30 to about 4.30, I would do a Twitter Q&A and that got me tons of followers. So I would just answer any question anybody had about finance, you know, self-help, books, writing, podcast, anything anybody wanted to ask. Even And people would sometimes say, well, who are you to answer? And I would just be honest. I'd say, I'm nobody. But I'll answer anybody's question, and but that was great for getting followers on Twitter. Or I would write articles in other places and and say follow me on Twitter in the middle of the article and provide the link. So I focused on it for a while, and then I don't know. I just I just lost complete interest. I think every what I noticed was about every eighteen months something would happen that would provoke outrage. And it was getting like somebody would either write an article about me that was that I felt was lying, but it would make a lot of people angry at me. Or maybe I wrote an article that a lot of people disagreed with, so it would provoke outrage. And every eighteen months, the outrage would get worse and worse and worse. And so the last time it happened, uh, when I wrote this article about New York City, it was so bad. Right. I just, I actually don't even think it was my choice. I just kind of got burnt out and just stopped posting. There was also, um, I just researching, there was a thing that people kicked off at you about um, not investing in something that was on a podcast. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't remember that. You were, it was like some um, podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that was a, a Shark Tank kind yeah. of podcast called The Pitch. And you spend 20 minutes with a company 
And then you're supposed to commit like real money to invest. And I would say, yeah, I'm interested in this company. I'd be interested in investing this money. And then I would do my due diligence and I decided not to invest. It's not like, but they act like you're making like a legal deal right there in 20 minutes on a podcast. That's not what, you know, and then, and by the way, none of the other people invested either, but for some reason I was like called out and like, it's because I didn't appear on the next episode, something like that. And I was like shamed for not investing and everyone was like oh this guy's a jerk <laughs> this he he said he would invest in this ex-veterans you know this veterans oh, business about that? and 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 he didn't and but you know i there was a couple other investors there who never invested but i guess they just kept on doing the due diligence ongoing whereas i made a final decision not to invest but did you email them to tell them that no that's what i didn't do so See, that, i know that's you, part of the i know you now and i'm not surprised <laughs> you're the worst emailer i am okay you gotta tell like so we were talking about this earlier. Like you were saying you feel anxious when someone writes yeah. you and so you respond instantly or else you feel anxiety. Yeah. My thing is I feel anxiety when someone writes me and so I don't respond, but then I get more anxious because then time builds up and I literally apologize to to so like even some of my best friends. I'm not mad at you. I promise I will eventually write once I get over my anxiety about this. But but what when I thought you. I thought you wrote, and I. I said, "Come on!" Like <laughs> apparently, the story's different. Yeah. Well, okay. This it's interesting because you also wrote an article saying you don't respond to your kids. You wish you responded to your kids more often. Yeah, I do. I, I'm bad at that as well. Man, it's. I, I'm. I'm fascinated just because it's just a different way of being, and not. And either that's. I don't mean it to suggest. Oh, I'm so good. I reply to emails. It is. It comes from a purely selfish reason of like the obsessiveness in me. I'm going to forget it. I've got to do it now. I've got to do it. And I wish I didn't have that. So I respect that you don't have to do it. No, you said. But, on the- but I get anxious about it. Like I. I feel I should. <laughs> And then I get really stressed out to the point where now I can't ever. <laughs> Whereas people will think, oh, he doesn't care. Yeah. That, well, then I get, a lot of, I get a lot of emails saying, uh, did I do something wrong? Uh, do you hate me? Like, do you reply to those? Sometimes I do, but they make me nervous when they send that. Because like, yeah. then I have to respond. But then I, sometimes I catch myself writing those emails to people I know who are like me, don't respond. Yeah. <laughs> so then I figured, you know what? This is a karma thing. So if I just respond to everybody, I bet you everybody will respond to me. I bet you that will yeah. start happening. But <laughs> but I got a there's a whole list of people I have to respond to now and I'm and I'm so ashamed yeah. because I really like I love all these people that some of them are like good friends and I feel like I've really upset them, but then it come. It really comes from this. I hate to say this. It comes from my mother. Okay. So my mother, I didn't call her back once for like a month or so, and she, I called her back, and she starts screaming at me. And ever since then, I've just had a hard time. I just don't want people to scream at me, and I feel like it's gonna like literally. It's like this cl- cliche therapy thing that yeah. it's, it comes from not responding to my mother once. Take me back to your childhood, James. <laughs> right, it's exactly that. <laughs> yeah, what do, in, seriously though, take me inside your mind when an email like that comes to you. You're, what are you? You're sitting at your desk. Okay. Email comes to me. So I've, I write a lot. I write every morning. I spend a lot of time on writing and I've, I've written 20 or so books and I love writing. I love the process of writing. And that includes, and, I, and I, like when my kids have a book report or an essay they have to write, I will sit there for four hours, word by word, helping them write and teaching them writing. So when I ha- when someone writes me an email and it's a little bit of emotion and I really want to think about it, I really want to write a good response. But then I don't have time that day. And so I say, I'll do it the next day. And then it just 
and then the next person writes. And so now I have two. And then the next person, I have three, but I still have all the podcasts. I still have my normal writing. And so I take writing very seriously. So writing an email, maybe I take too seriously. And I feel like I really want to craft a great response. And it's just too much. I put too much pressure on myself. It's funny though, um, because I know you now. And when you know someone and it's like, oh, they're a bad emailer, it's not really a big deal. It's just like, oh God, yeah, he never replies to you. You know, it's just like, what, what is it? It's like, oh, well, he, he smokes a lot. It's a bit annoying. Or he's a bit loud when he talks in a cafe. It's like those things, no one cares. But when it gets onto like a professional level, and as, as you say, it's on Twitter, it's suddenly everyone piles on and it's like the worst thing. He didn't reply to a thing he'd done on a podcast, yeah. but it's just like, well, he doesn't. But with us, you said at the end, which you surprised me when you said, you said, come out, come and stay the night. Yeah, yeah, come on. So I had to email lovely Jay and say, um, <laughs> is that happening? Because I've emailed and you weren't replying to emails. So I had to go to Jay and go, um, is that, and, and I thought definitely not because I'm so- No, used- Jay asked me and I said, of course, yeah, that's what I told him. I'm but- shocked. <laughs> I was shocked because I'm so used to, if somebody doesn't reply, I would usually think like, okay, they, they didn't really mean it or they regretted saying it. Um, and then even up until just now, I mean, the last time we spoke was months ago on that podcast when you it's just funny. But I, you know, I've, it sounds like I'm having a go now. I don't, honestly, don't, I'm quite happy. I'm delighted. No, no, I, I appreciate it. Like, this is definitely like a fatal flaw for me is that I just, I don't know, I get so focused on what I'm doing that day. And then the list of emails are piling up. But the great thing is, Jay, who everyone knows is the podcast producer, Jay, say hi. You come on the podcast loud, or you don't have a microphone on him, do you? Hi. <laughs> so, so Jay comes on the podcast occasionally. So we were just at a conference and everybody who like even started handing me a business card, Jay would just grab it because he knows that I'm never going <laughs> to, I'm never going <laughs> to. Jay's, uh, Jay's amazing. And, and my wife, Robin, who's, who's somewhere around here, she, if Jay wasn't around, Robin would grab it. Like, don't give it to James because <laughs> he's not, he's just not going to respond. Oh, but I, and, and, and she says, if you want to text him, text me and then I'll respond. So. Uh. But like, but, it's not really a big deal, is it? It's just, but it just feels like it is in that in that Twitter world, really. But but, but you respond. My, my wife Robin is like this too. She responds instantly. And if, yeah. if someone writes us, and if let's say someone writes the two of us and needs a response from me, she will just ask me every five minutes. Did you respond yet? Did you respond yet? Did you respond yet? And so like, I'm always I, I like some people are like that where they just they if they don't respond instantly, mm-hmm. and I think there's a danger in that too because we live in this kind of. Um, real-time responding world where, you know, it used to be you got a message on your answering machine, your antique answering machine, you weren't home, so you couldn't respond. And now, though, everybody's checking their email all the time. So when you send an email and you don't get a response instantly, there's a dynamic that happens in both directions. Because I know you read the email. I sent it 15 minutes ago. You had to have read it by now. So... (laughs) It's it's a pressure. It's really stressful, and I I made a point as well of replying to every single comment on YouTube since it that's begun. That's smart, though. Yeah, it's look, everything. I, you, you do it for yourself, even when you're doing. Even when I'm. That's why I'm not. I'm not digging you out because I know the reason I do it is is my own. You know, I remember going to um, therapy in Argentina. I went to see a therapist because why not? You got You got it's, it's the the capita. Play the most therapists in the world is Argentina. Yeah, yeah. The know. joke is like if you're riding in a cab, your cab's a therapist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I went. You know, it was like ten dollars. You know, and it was a free Spanish class as well. So why right. why not? Um, and I remember going in just thinking I was great, right? And I was I must have been twenty four or something. And no one's great when they're tw- no one's great at any age, let alone at twenty four. I just thought I was great because I'm so nice to people and I'm always doing things like that. I'm replying to everyone's emails and stuff. And his like first appraisal, his the first thing that he said, he was like. 
you just want, and he did like a clapping sign with his hands. He was like, you want this. And, you know, that's what, that's why you do what you do. That's what motivates you. You want everybody to like you and all this stuff. And from that moment on, I decided never to moralize. And that's a huge thing in my podcast as well. As my, And that can be tricky. Mm. You touched on before. If I've got like a Nazi on the podcast, I should really be saying stuff to them like, hey, hang on. But I don't want to ever say things from a point of view of, I wouldn't have done that if I if I were in your place and had your brain or whatever. I, I could have done the same thing as you. I don't want them to think I'm above that. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. That's interesting because, like, take the Aryan Brotherhood guy. You said, uh, you know, I, I guess that's an organization formed in jail mm. so that they're protecting each other was mm. the initial thing. So you don't really know what experiences he or she no. has been through and... And so it's hard to, but I like this idea of just kind of like turning that muscle off, the moralizing muscle off in a podcast. And people should know that that's what podcasters do. You can't have like an antagonistic podcast. The guy will leave in the first five minutes. The guest will leave in the first five minutes. You have to keep the conversation yeah. going. So a next guest won't come on if they hear you digging right. out everyone else. Right. They'll get scared. Yeah. So plus it's, I don't, I don't like moralizing. I find it boring. I find it, I find moralizing people boring. Uh, and we've, you know, we've spoken about this before, but obviously, you know, this sort of woke, I hate saying the word woke, but that can be very moralizing. It's why I'm so turned off by it. I find it's the moral thing, the righteousness. Um, but before it would have been the religious right, and it still is as well. I don't want to hear, I, I, I just find it very boring. Well, let me ask you this, because this is about the, the clapping that your therapist said that you want to hear people clap. Mm. I've been thinking about this lately. When you go through airport security, mm. <laughs> this does segue nicely. When you go through airport security, what do you do in the U.S.? Uh, um, um, what are you thinking about? Please, please, can I get everything right so that I get correct, so I don't have to be corrected? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah like, like when I go through airport security, I'm, th- I want everybody to see me, yeah. like, just perfectly. Like, this man is a machine. He's got his laptop <laughs> in his hand, puts it down in the bin, has his shoes off already. Boom, 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 right through. Yeah. No, no waste. I want everybody to be impressed by me. Yes. Like I want, I want an audience at airport security. And you never get it because they're all busy with their own thing. But I'm, I'm a pro now at airport security. I do that pro thing with uh, being very fast when there's like a, a queue for something. So let's say there's a queue for like to buy something from a shop. Everyone is so slow in front of me. So I'm like there when I arrive with my card ready, with what I want ready. And, and I, you know, I reach over before they've even given me the card machine. I'm like, uh, and I walk off and I want to go, see how quickly it can be done? Right. See, it's not just about like getting it done fast. You want other people to notice. Yeah, of course. So, so it's the same thing with a, with a lot of these things. Unfortunately, I didn't get that with, and I, I wish I was better at responding to, yeah. to email, but now I'm known as the bad emailer. <laughs> so I'm known by everybody as that. I gotta, I gotta correct that. That's one thing. If I could correct anything, I would correct that. But th- this is part, this is like, t- this is how problematic behavior starts because in a cult or whatever it might be, if people start to have a go at you too much and you're known as the bad thing, you can switch over and you go, you know what? That's, I'm never going to have status for that. 
Like you're going to continue doing the safety checkout stuff, check in, like you know, because you know you're good at that. You're known as James Altucher, the great security airport guy, right? Right. But you're known as the bad emailer. Even if you email fantastically for the next ten years, you won't be a good emailer because the reputation from before will, will follow you. So you could then retreat into the shadows. And I'm using this as a metaphor for, say, um, child molesters or criminals and stuff like that, because you can't ever win status now you might as well go into the shadows and speak to other people who are also bad emailers. And you all tell each other that it's actually okay not to reply to emails and that no one actually minds and it's helpful. And Well, well that's you know. an interesting thing like because, you know, there's always... The, like, let's say someone was a burglar. They, mm. they, they robbed a bank and or they mugged somebody and they hurt somebody. They went to jail. And there's this whole sense of, well, you paid your dues. You did your time. There was a sentence. You yeah. were convicted guilty by a jury of your peers. The judge considered what is the appropriate sentence for this crime where at the end of that sentence he will have paid his dues to society and you know you, you but we don't really have that now in this and i i hate to drag in cancel culture but like take louis ck as an example he is many people feel he should never have a career again like he should never have any tv shows comedy specials or anything and yet he is just in terms of raw skill. He's like one of the, you know, depending on how you feel about comedy, he's one of the most. He's maybe the most skilled comedian ever. He's like the the. I'll use a chess analogy. He's the Bobby Fischer of of comedy, and yeah, that's not going to go over my audience. The Bobby no, Fischer. Well, he's so, Louis C.K. Is enough. <laughs> right, he's the Louis C.K. of comedy. Yeah, and uh, uh, but you know, people will be upset for the rest of their lives at him. Yeah, and. Like I say, he will never now be able to win status by through righteousness. If there's three ways to win status, three main ways, one is dominance, one is um, success, and one is virtue. So dominance in the tribe, if you're a big alpha male, you get the food because you're dominant. If you invented the wheel, you're a successful person, people give you the food and stuff and shelter. Uh, and if you're virtuous, you, you're the person who helps everyone you you uh, get they give you food as well in return right you don't actually have to be virtuous you just have to make it seem to others that you are which is where virtue signaling comes from hmm. um louis ck is never going to win any points in the virtue one now he's ruined that so yeah, that's so interesting i never thought of it that way so there's three things virtue dominance success success so he'll he'll do it in success but he's lost the whole people who are in the virtue hierarchy exactly and that's why you often see did you watch bojack horseman no. Okay, it doesn't matter then. But he does this at the end. He's like a character who gets uh, a similar thing happens to him, like Louis C.K. kind of thing. Um, and he goes the other way. And you see that all the time. You see this. And Louis C.K. has done that. If you see his stand up since it all happened, he's gone much darker, much yeah. more sexual, because he can't win the righteous bit anymore. That's done. Right. Now you can go full into it. Boom. Be so, the horrible guy. Why not? Because the people who appreciate him for his success are still going to go. The virtue people are not going. So that's what he's doing. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, and th this is the thing actually that bothered me about social media is that like originally I was writing about my experiences of starting businesses or investing and then going broke and coming back from that. So I had like things about me in the real world that I was writing stories about that people would follow. But then gradually I got disgusted with the fact that people only knew me from social media. They had forgotten that I had done anything else in life. And so for for social media becomes this experience unto itself that you don't have to do anything other than social media to have 
status. And I think that's a, a, a troubling thing where people could just sit in front of their computer for their whole lives and get status that way instead of actually like doing things, doing hard things. Sure. But now, nowadays being in front of your computer is hard things, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it, will it, what difference if you're doing it from your computer or if you're doing it in real life? No, it's true. But like, for instance, having like a clever tweet that gets like a thousand mm. shares is one thing, but let's say you know, surviving the Holocaust. I'm not saying I did that. I'm just taking an extreme <laughs> example. Surviving the Holocaust, that's something that's, you know, an incredibly hard thing. Or or starting a business in, in, and watching it either succeed or fail, either direction is is very hard. But, but a lot of people are like, oh, my tweet, I don't need to do that because my tweet, my last tweet just got 15,000 shares. So I don't need to do the hard thing. This was hard enough. But it's not. But it's not that easy to do a tweet that gets fifteen. That's true. Yeah. You know what difference? How is that different to Shakespeare writing? I mean, an entire sonnet. Okay, there's more artistic <laughs> endeavor going on there. Maybe yeah, but maybe you're right. Maybe like certainly like TikTok. I, I love watching TikTok because I don't know how. It's like it's like there's seventy magical people on the planet, like jumping from building to building and doing magic tricks in the street and. Playing Chopin's etudes and in on a mall piano, and uh, it's like these incredibly talented people doing these amazing things on TikTok. So, I would say it is hard to have whatever medium it is to have the talent and skill for that medium to make it go viral. So that's true. Point taken. But I, I just, I just wonder, like, you know, some there are some things that are harder than others. Like I feel, I feel like supporting a family when you're broke is like harder than, it's more painful than trying to come up with a good tweet. Like like people get in pain when they write a tweet and it doesn't get the 15,000 shares. So like that, I see that kind of thing too. They get addicted to the dopamine of all those tweets and retweets and shares. And so then they feel miserable yeah. when they don't. Whereas if you can't feed your kids, like that's a real miserable feeling. And that's happened to me. So, yeah. you know, those, you know, I, so, so, so then I get, start thinking, well, should I, do more things. Should I start another business? Should I write a big book or, you know, like that's different from other books that I've written or whatever. But, mm. but then I also get to, uh, you know, I'm just getting older. Maybe I'm just not as interested in getting retweeted or, right. or known for things. Well, yeah, exactly. Would those, the big book or the big project, would you do them? Would you be as interested in doing them if you knew nobody would ever see them? No. So it's all status, isn't it? Yeah. And I was never, I like, that, that's a good point. Like I was never interested in, I would never write for, for people if nobody yeah. would read it. But from the time I was a kid, I wanted to be a writer because I wanted to be famous from writing. You wanted clapping. Yeah, I wanted the clapping. We, we, totally. we all do though. And, and, that, and that's exactly what, when I say boring, I, I've realized that I find talking to people who don't admit those things about themselves boring. Yeah. I can't sit with those people. I remember the moment it happened. I remember it was a friend of a, a friend of mine when I was, I guess I was 21 years old. And we were, I was having a chat with someone else about how boring opera seems to be. And I know some people like it, and that's fine. But to me, it just seemed really boring. And this woman that we knew overheard us talking about opera and presumed we were talking glowingly about it. And so she came over and said like, oh, I love opera. It's my favorite thing. Oh, don't, don't you love it? Don't you love it? And I said, oh, what's your favorite opera? Which was mean of me to do because I knew she wouldn't have one. And she said the greatest hits of opera, right? So she's not an opera fan, but she thought she had to say it to get some sort of status and be part of our group and all that stuff. Right, so what's, what, what sort of signaling there is she doing? She's, success. Yeah, success. Okay, she's because successful people go to the opera, the yeah. opera's expensive, it's, yeah. you wear a tuxedo to the opera. Exactly. So That's what she's signaling. And I just thought, like, I wish 
Instead of that, an infinitely more interesting thing would have been if she came over and said, I wish I liked the opera because it would make me seem really interesting and fun and clever, but I just can't get into it because it's actually boring. And we could have, we could have bonded over all of us going, God, yeah, we all wish we liked the opera, but don't like it. Just honesty. But otherwise, it's just boring otherwise. You know, most things kind of are actually <laughs> that people like opera. I, I, I've been to the opera once. I was on a first date. So we went and there was an intermission in the middle where there was dessert. That was the funnest time that I had in that particular yeah. date. But like most things, like I don't even really like going to the movies anymore because now everybody's got like a big TV. You could watch, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. could watch the best movie in the world. It was just released two weeks ago. It might be on Netflix now. And not only that, I can, I can, just with my phone, I could press the buttons and like a world-class chef could cook me dinner yeah. and someone in their like Mercedes Benz <laughs> will drive it over to me and leave it on my doorstep. I don't even have to see them. And yeah. it's just like, why go anywhere now? I should clarify, I don't mean I don't mean operas. I mean, I find opera boring and you find opera boring, but some people, I, I, the, other, the other thing she could have said is actually if she was fascinated by opera and loved it, that would have been an interesting thing for me as well because I could have just tried to understand why she loves it because at least it would have been sincere and honest. But I can't stand, that's why I like talking to psychopaths. It's why I like talking to people, you know, if it were Louis C.K., for example, because he doesn't have to do the virtue or the extra success. Uh, I love talking to psychopaths, best people to interview, because you start from a point of them uh, being honest. They're saying to you, uh, I I, I don't have the virtue bit. I'm not going to try and compete for that. So then you can have an open and honest conversation where nobody's trying to one up about what good people they are. That's infinitely more interesting. Has there anything? Has there ever been anything that you found boring that you later changed your mind on? Oh, uh, probably because I think that everything, even opera, I think everything probably can be interesting if you either gave it the time or if you had the right kind of brain for it. I don't think I have the right brain for chess. You love chess, so I have to know. You know, I see how much you love chess, and I see a lot of people love chess. So I know it has to have some intrinsic beauty and amazing stuff to it. There must be stuff. I think more things the other way because I think I think there were a lot of stuff when I was twenty or twenty one, and I was so desperate as a student or whatever to tell myself that I had that you know the success one that I was interested in this kind of la di da stuff uh, that I would sit and watch you know, Nouvelle Vague French black and white cinema, right? Right. And I said to myself, this is so interesting. Look at the way you know a boy is running for seven minutes of screen time. You know, now I would find that. Endlessly boring. I have no patience for that now. Thanks, James Altucher, again for hosting me, although I do not expect a response or reply, nor do I need one. I don't want to guilt people into responding to me. Some people are just bad at replying but are good at other things, and I hope to be able to do something with James very soon. He's a really, really lovely, good guy. He's been extremely kind to me. So go go check out and support him by listening to his wonderful James Altucher podcast. Make sure to tell friends if you are enjoying this here podcast on The Edge with Andrew Gold. If you're not subscribed or following or whatever it is on the particular platform that you use, make sure that you are so you get notified about new episodes. Leave a review on Apple, that helps a lot. And sign up on patreon.com slash Gold to support it financially. Is it remunerate? To remunerate me with with your finances and otherwise just keep on listening that's really supportive and helpful and and look hopefully you're enjoying this so i will see you next time
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.